Sonic Statesman.com. Here we are, Podcast 17, which is going to be going live on the 12th of October. This week we've got with us uh, Mark Tinley. Hello. Mark describes himself as a sound artist and musician and uh, currently works, does a lot of work with Duran Duran and um, I believe makes custom motorcycles as well. Uh, Dave Spears from G Media Music. Uh, they make such fine software instruments as the Mtron, the Imposca, the Oddity, and uh, more recently the Mini Monster Melaman. Hi, Dave. Hello. And John Musgrave. John Musgrave is a producer, engineer, programmer, and occasional uh, journalist on uh, high tech musical stuff. Uh, he joins us this week. Hi, John. Hello. Okay, well, that's the uh, introductions all done with. Um, the first thing I wanted to look at was this um, Electron Turbo MIDI. Uh, what Turbo MIDI is, is a, a sort of USB box that uh, outputs MIDI clock at a much higher resolution than uh, than anything else. It's uh, 10 times the resolution. So if you, uh, or, you know, not just MIDI clock, it'll output MIDI data. So you could use it for maybe sample dump standards or, you know, tightening up your MIDI clocks and stuff. I mean, I think that's essentially what it's for. I think it's brilliant, actually. I've read up on it and... Um the fact that it's open standard means that anybody can implement it. Totally brilliant. It means that MIDI will get faster in the next sort of, you know, decade instead of being stuck back there in the 80s with the dinosaurs. So um, anything that improves MIDI timing has got to be good. And, and hey. make, making it open standard and free for anyone else to use, brilliant. It's definitely a step forward, I think. I mean, Dave, you're a software developer. Can you see... Uh any kind of uh, fabulous new uh, new ways of, of utilising this capability? Uh, not off the top of my head, no. Don't tell me, show me is my motto. Right. <laughs> Once they show me, uh, I'm sure we'll think of something. But I like the Electron boys. It sounds, uh, and this sounds pretty neat. What I can't understand is why have they only made it 10 times, because the original MIDI was 31 kiloboard or something like that, 8-bit, which... And my broadband is probably ten times that, so probably more actually. So why have they only made it ten times? Can can they not go faster than that? One thing I did notice from look, looking into it though is that you have to have the um, an appropriately equipped piece of equipment, so to speak, to make use of it. Yeah, but I mean, if it's open source, presumably people can just write it into an operating system and then address their MIDI ports in the new fashion, whatever that might be. I mean. Which well, is, presumably it's compatible with the old stuff as well, so it means if you use one of these and you've got some old and some new plugged in, that it'll all work together, right? I believe so, from what I understand, Hopefully, yeah. anyway. That's what they say. I suppose the only thing is persuading people to write, it, write support into their, into their units, isn't it? If their attention if they, isn't really on that, on that at the moment. But if they've made it open source and they give every, everyone the code to put that into their units, then, then I don't understand why anyone wouldn't. I suppose not. Well, I suppose, I mean, if it costs, you know, however many coding days to get it implemented and iron out a few bugs or whatever it is, I mean, often open source means it's not quite ready yet. Come and help us fix it. But I mean, I don't know if, that, I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if that's the case in, uh, in, in Electron's, um, you know, in this example. But anyway, we wish them luck. I mean, and they are great guys and they do, they do make exceedingly stylish T-shirts. <laughs> On the face of it, the M-Audio NRV10 Firewire Mixer doesn't sound very exciting. And, you know, one might think, yeah, so what? I've seen a Firewire Mixer. There's nothing special about it. But it's been one of the biggest single um, items of news that we put up for the AES. And we got a, a video demo of a guy introducing it. And it went bonkers. We've had so many people looking at that. So I think they must be onto something. Because most Firewire 
integrated mixers only tend to have two returns and they come in via the tape monitors. You can't access them in any way. But according to this, uh, you can actually access... The channels come back, uh, you've got 10 in and 10 out, and you can they, they are integrated into the mixer, so you can incorporate them into your recording and uh, into your recording system. So presumably they'll be bringing out, you know, larger, uh, I don't know, maybe larger um, I.O. systems. It uses their Octane uh, preamps, which they use in their uh, Octopres, which are supposed to be quite good. I've not tried them. You've got onboard effects, but you've also got some uh, inter-effects software, which allows you to run plugins on the live input. So the mixer becomes integrated into the system. And so, you know, if you plug your bass into it, presumably you can run some plugins across it, which is quite an interesting concept. So maybe it is, it is quite a leap in terms of Firewire mixer technology. Do you know whether or not it acts as a, as a, as a controller service as well? I don't believe it does. It didn't look like it did. I watched the video. It doesn't look like mm. it does. I think, the, I think the idea of being able to access all of your VST plugins from an external mixer is cool, though, especially if, you, if you've got, like, 10 channels of that going on. And I assume that it must have some kind of digital patching inside it as well so that you can patch things to other things. Um, it's, I mean, it, it kind of means that you're going more towards Pro Tools kind of functionality with multiple ins and outs. I've, but... I guess stuck inside a mixer at, at the same time, maybe. I don't well, know. Well, it, I suppose it it does rather step on the. Um, is it venue that you can run TDM plugins on for? So if effectively it allows you to make the album in Pro Tools and then run the same plugins across the singer's voice live. Maybe <laughs> this is uh, this is a kind of you know uh, what would you call it a sort of um, a karaoke Mini version. version. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were saying they were saying it was a. I mentioned an expected street price of six nine nine. I think you said six nine nine. Yeah, and it's uh, it's Pro Tools empowered compatible as well. So that could be quite a nice little package. Aren't they stepping on their own toes by doing this a bit? Aren't they sort of going into the um, the Digi Double O Two territory a little bit? Yes. Well, <laughs> yes, I suppose they are. I mean, one thing that would be really useful, obviously, if you could have a sixteen IO system, because a lot of people. I mean, I, I we use a Motu system in uh, the production setup I've got. And the main rig has got 16 IO, and I haven't got a 16 IO system. So if we bring stuff to be worked on in the other room, you know, I need to get a 16 IO sound card just so that I'm not screwing up all the inputs and outputs, and so it can be can move to and fro between systems. That's within logic. I mean, I know um, uh, Pro Tools handles the, uh, the the migration between different audio interfaces much more elegantly. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> oh, or perhaps it doesn't. <laughs> So, Dave, um, um, is that something that... Because uh, you said you saw that when you went to Prague for the uh, developer conference. Yeah, I used it um, very briefly and, and saw quite a neat demo. Um, who The guys who were D-Sound have written some plugins for it, and they were demoing that. And it did sound great. It was easy to set up. It was very small and compact. Uh, and knowing them all, dear, I don't know what the price is. You say about $699. Yeah, so what's it's, that, 499 quid, 399 Yeah, like that. That's a street price, I think. It's, that's pretty damn reasonable, I think. Can I talk about the other thing that M Audio had on that same video? Yeah, sure. I was I I used to use this thing, and I think it was M Audio that made it before a MIDI um, wireless MIDI thing. Nick Rhodes had one for the live stuff, and and used to use a probably a Yamaha DX100 as a keyboard controller for that. And I was quite excited to see that because it actually the the new mid air that they've got coming out because it actually looks like a proper um piece of kit as opposed to something that was made in tin boxes before so i want to try that out because i like the idea of wireless midi 
Yeah, we've got mm. a uh, Midair 25, which is the one with the sort of Oxygen 8 keyboard bolted onto it, which I'm going to review shortly. I was going to... What happens when they go out of range is that they start throwing random notes into things. So uh, Nick used to come to the front of the stage and his rig was sort of, you know, 20 feet away, I suppose. And it started playing all sorts of things he wasn't even playing. He used to really upset the sound guy. What's the, what's the timing like on those, those uh, the wireless MIDI interfaces? But it's no worse than a MIDI guitar. The other thing that's worth knowing, I mean, you can actually do this between two Apple um, laptops. It has a... Uh, MIDI over the network uh, plugin that you can run between, so you could you know sync two sequences or whatever. I've not tried that, but I suppose that's Wi-Fi range, which could be you know several feet. But, um, so that's another way of doing it. But this thing is um, is much, probably much well. It's in a great deal cheaper than buying two uh, two Apple laptops, that's for sure. But um, yeah, way to go, uh, M Audio on the NRV. It looks like it could be a good product for them. I mean, they they as I've said before, they're one of those companies that seem to be. That they haven't been doing many donkeys, have they? They've kind of cut everything they come up with. You go, oh, actually, that's quite nifty. Sonic state. The other, the other, um, the other thing that really took my fancy. I mean, and primarily because of the video that Andy got at AES. It was a um, Peter Gorge, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, from the AIR um, Digidesign uh, Advanced Instrument Research Group, um, was demonstrating Strike, their new drum plugin, and also Velvet, which is a sort of electromechanical Rhodes Wurlitzer plugin. And I don't know if you've all had a chance to look at that video, but didn't they look like good plugins, or was it just just me? They are. In fact, I've got Strike already, and it is a very good plugin. And along similar lines to the, to the other um, drum machine plugins like BFD and uh, Superior, but it's I think it's the amount of playability in it which makes it which makes it good. Um, you know, there's a lot of control over it. even using the preset patterns. You can just control how busy they are and how how much, you know, aggression is put into the playing, and it makes it really easy to make it sound like a real drummer. I really like the fact that you can use the mod... Was it the mod wheel to to sort of effectively tell the drummer whether to be play more busily or sort of yeah. lay back a bit? And that's just such a... That seemed like such a great idea. Yeah, the two, I think the two main parameters are complexity and intensity, like the general parameters. And I think the complexity one is mapped to the mod wheel. So as soon as you start tweaking that up, it, it gets a bit busier. Hey, look, what are the patterns like? Because obviously, you know, you, we only got a few snapshots. I mean, are they ropey or are they actually quite usable? They're very usable. I think if, if there is, I don't want to criticise it, but if there is any limitation, it is, it's the number of kits. I think there's only five kits in there. So even though there's quite a lot of patterns, they're all relying on the same basic five kits. Right, but presumably they can release new kits for that without any great oh, for sure. problem. And it, the other great thing is that the actual the kits are encoded using lossless, audio lossless, some kind of lossless formula. So... The actual space it takes on your hard drive is a lot less. So, Dave, can you see yourself um, uh, being not, not bothering to reach for the drum kit, perhaps? Have you tried this out? Uh, no, I haven't tried this out. Uh, I've obviously tried BFD and uh, drum kit from hell and all that stuff, uh, which are all great. Um, but Velvet is the one that um, strikes me. Uh, excuse the pun. Um, <laughs> strikes me as being particularly interesting. I'm a complete Rhodes and Wurlitzer yeah. fanatic, so... Uh, I want to hear this at the earliest opportunity. It did. Did you? I really particularly like the way that they'd incorporated the actual kind of physical mechanical noises of the unamplified instruments into it, and you could blend those in. And it, when he turned those up, the the blends up, it sort of really rung a chord. And I thought, wow, that is such a familiar sound. It really sounds very real. Uh, yeah, I want to get my hands on this quite quickly. I uh, I use the Lounge Lizard stuff and the EVP. I think the Lounge Lizard's brilliant, uh, and if this can beat it, then. I'm going to get it. 
But Artas only, isn't that going to be... Doesn't that mean we're going to have to go over to Pro Tools to, uh, to enjoy its, its um, delights? Yeah, but this, I'm sure we can find a way around that. Uh, seriously, I mean, for me, you know, the, the Rhodes and the Whirly are the, are the two sort of holy grail instruments to me. Uh, so, and, and if they've come up with a kind of world-beating product on that front, uh, I'll switch. Well, he's, I've got, I've actually got an EP200A in the, uh, in the office. I'm looking at it now. So mm. if they send me one, I'll, uh, I, I definitely, I can sit here and maybe run it through a scope or something. Mark, has, does any, did, did, did you find um, any delight from watching those plugins? I mean, it was, it was, he was, he's very boffin kind of guy, but he, he seemed to bring out the bits that were most pertinent, I thought. I like this man, actually. I like, I like the idea that um, he'd obviously spoken to a lot of piano players because he was talking about the fact that skilled players had told him various different things that this piano needed to sound like. So, I mean, they've obviously been listening to people and they've obviously been listening to the instrument and the way that people use it. So whatever they're researching over there, I'm sort of really, I'm not really particularly interested in electric pianos myself, but I'm now interested in what else they're doing because they've got to be, you know, putting together other sound stuff, uh, which I will find interesting. Um, the, the drum, the drum thing, I, I tend not to do any drums at all myself now because I've decided that drummers do drums a lot better than I ever will. And and I sort of almost wonder whether or not a drummer should be in control of whether that pitch wheel is like bringing more notes into the um, pattern or not and whether, the, you know, how hard it's being hit and all that sort of stuff because drummers think like drummers and, and express themselves like drummers much better than anyone else doing it. And uh, people will think that that drummer that they've sampled or recorded or whatever is better than the drummer that they've got in their band, maybe. And then they start using this plugin instead of their drummer and they miss the point that, that the mistakes are almost an essential component of the music itself. So, you know, I, I'm a bit worried about that plugin. <laughs> I, don't, you know, I, want, I want to hear real drummers playing drums badly, that's, but that's just me. So. <laughs> Well, sure? maybe they've got. Maybe there's a plug-in for that. There could be a knob that you turn that just sort of how drunk or you know. It, maybe you could have a dial that chose the drug of your choice and how and how intoxicated the drummer is at the point of of, of the playback. That could be an interesting one. Or, yeah, you know, I think definitely drunk. You should have a drunk button, and then you should have an over-opinionated button as well for when they really get <laughs> really get in there. You know? <laughs> I reckon they can do it. Um, Sean reviewed the mu- mu- music production toolkit and that had a couple more of their instruments that comes with it and they seem to be really kind of doing some great stuff I mean even their you know their, their stuff that's based on romplers and basic synthesizers it yeah. kind of gets people excited and people go oh yeah actually even though it's you know essentially just a kind of workstation thing they've done some very interesting things with modulation and dynamic control of the sounds and mappings that that seem to just kind of resonate with players They've got a really good history. I mean, uh, I think the head of development there is, is this guy, Paul Kellett, who's a very, very smart guy, was um, responsible for, um, I think it's hypersonic and certainly virtual guitarist. You remember the old Steinberg virtual guitarist and groove agent and stuff like that. And Paul's really, really switched on. These are the guys from Wazoo, are they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Wazoo had some really good sound libraries about five or six years ago. They also made loads and loads of sounds for the Nord Modular as well, like really uh, inventive and uh, interesting sounds. So. 
Good stuff from Digi. I mean, it'd be really nice if they st- if they released some of them as uh, audio units or whatever. Do you oh, think there's any yes, chance please. of that? <laughs> yes, please. Or do you think they're going to keep all the good things for themselves? It would make sense if they did, I suppose. Oh, I, I think, think they're going to sh- keep the good things for themselves. They've finally set uh, a, a sort of songwriting royalty for digital downloads. Can anyone give us a, a um, description of what, what it actually is, what the money is for, what it's collected for, and, and who gets it? It's the money to the publisher or copyright owner of the song, but derived from the sale of the mechanical, so the CD or the download or whatever. Does that go straight to the songwriter, or does it go you know, split to the publisher? Depends whether they're published or not. So the publisher would take a slight percentage, you know, based up based on whatever deal the 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 songwriter has got with their publisher. The PRS and MTPS Alliance have been lobbying for a twelve percent split, and um, they didn't this, get it. though, did they? they? They didn't get it, and this kind of kind of counts as a this is a three year deal, from what I understand from the story. So, um, whether they're looking to renegotiate that after three years, who knows? Essentially, there will be money coming in to the songwriter for digital downloads. I mean, I'm just amazed it hasn't been done sooner. And and I suppose they've, they've been going for the 12% because they're saying, well, there's no manufacturer costs, so why should you Correct. get more? Correct. It's in addition, is it in addition to their recording royalty, though? It's not ju- the only royalty they get from a digital download, is it? They should get something from the record company. The mechanical is an additional thing on top of the royalty, isn't it? You'd normally get it from a record as a separate payment to your to your recording royalty. Yeah, well the recording royalty is the is 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 literally just what you get for making for recording the record, it, irrespective of whether or not you wrote the song. Whereas the mechanical is something that goes I mean I suppose the mechanical goes to the original songwriter, is that right? So if you do a cover of um, you know, I don't know, Laurel and Hardy uh, Trail of the Lonesome Pine and it becomes a smash hit download, then presumably the writers of that track will get that 8%. Not you. Correct. Correct. But the, the bottom line is that the record company, in fact, will end up with a higher percentage uh, of a download sales money than they would of a CD sale. Right, which is not necessarily a good thing, and one that, considering they've been fighting this all a lot, I suppose it helps pay for their court cases against Napster. <laughs> but tradition- well, Na- it- Napster have come in with it, actually. I think they've come on board as well now. Well, so- the original argument used to be, you know, the reason you get such a rubbish royalty is we've got to recoup all these kind of... S- the, the, the R&D that went into manufacturing CDs, and now they can use the same argument against you know, the, the R&D that's gone into digital fingerprinting, DRM, and uh, suing people who blow our copyright online, I suppose. Yeah. So I know Dave might have something to say on the YouTube acquisition, if he's got a moment. Uh, yeah, 1.6 billion things to say. Isn't that a cracker? What, these guys are, what, in their 20s? And <laughs> um, they've been going for 10 months, and they just sold their company for $1.6 billion. I suppose that's good news in a way, because it kind of feels like another golden age of uh, internet boomery, I suppose. Because, um, I mean, you just, how in any way could you justify Because everybody else has been saying before this purchase, who's going to be mad enough to buy YouTube? A company with no, you know, with, with a huge amount of bandwidth and no, no revenue. I thought there was one thing quite interesting in that uh, for people who submit their own videos, not videos of other copyrighted stuff for people who submit their own videos uh, they're going to use some of that big treasure chest to um pay them oh so you can get royalties as distribution yeah yeah if it's a kind of you know highly rated video or whatever they're, they're actually talking about some um, stumping up some cash for those oh, well, that people. is a good idea i mean maybe oh, some of that will go i mean that is a bit more that's that's kind of a good democratic thing you know because I must say, every time I go on YouTube, most of the stuff i see has got some sort of copyright infringement on it i put a video up there and i um 
I worked out a way of bouncing the number of hits up, so I bounced myself into the top 40. <laughs> and uh, I was doing I was doing quite well, but they caught me unfortunately, and they, they had something called honours, which they give you if you've had more than a certain number of views, and they removed my honours, even though they didn't take away the fact that I'd still got forty thousand hits. There is actually a great video of them. It looks like they've just come out of um, their sort of massive business lunch and got you know maybe had a couple of uh, glasses of lemonade, and they're a little bit out of it. And they just got massive grins all over their faces, and they're just talking complete gibberish, kind of telling us how how pleased they are and how how grateful they are to us, the community, for helping them basically walk off with half a basically billion dollars. Get away with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, fair play to them, really. I think. I mean, you know, I wish it was me, but I wish them luck. Okay, let's do the core one-bit recorders. Um, basically, it's a slightly different way of recording things by using a very, very, very high frequency. So instead of 44,000 chunks of audio or 196,000 chunks of audio with 16 bits, it records at a very, very high sampling rate. And then it just converts down to whatever sample rate you've set within the machine. It's well. Apparently, this new one-bit recorder records it like that and stores it like that, so it doesn't convert it to twenty-four-bit, ninety-six k, or or anything else. It actually takes that very, very high frequency uh, stream of data and records it, which is which. It must be recording an awful lot of data if it's not down sampling. Does it look like another kind of direct hit for Korg? I mean, who usually? I mean, you know, they've got lots of. Stock technologies that they're very good at re-releasing and getting kind of a new angle on. Um, this is a kind of completely new thing for them, so um, it's it's kind of quite exciting. It looks utterly brilliant. I mean, I want one. I, I've wanted a good field recorder for a long time. I want something I can carry around and go and record samples of things that's going to be like future-proof to some extent, and I'll be able to you know keep those samples forever. I didn't actually see how much they cost, Nick. Did you see how much they were? Yeah, they're not terribly expensive. They're between a thousand and fifteen hundred dollars. What? But what's what's? I suppose future-proof is kind of one thing. But then, how how do you downsample it to, into a format that you can use? They give they're giving you software with it. They give you some software that will do that automatically. But they also say that the software that they give you will let you play the one-bit recordings back on your computer, but it must downsample to get it out mm. of the audio card somehow. But I was going to say the other application is, is, is for mastering or master recordings, isn't it, for mixing to or whatever? Yes, I Absolutely. suppose that would work. But then, you know, you need to be able to do something with it. You know, you can't burn it to a CD. You could just put data and send it to somebody who's got another one, I suppose. But I then, you, you know, keep... what kind of D2As can you use if you've got something that's kind of record uh, that's working at that sort of sample rate? Well, the ones in there, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much that's, it. That's it. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> fu- it's, it's future proof, but it's also um, it's also sort of totally insular because it, no, is, no, yeah. it can't. It, nothing else is, you know, it. I suppose. Oh, well, that then poses the question: When are we going to get one bit recording in Pro Tools? How long will it be before they turn around and go, "Oh, well, you know, we're just going to take the leap to the next step"? And here you go, guys. Here's your. One bit multi track recorder sounds better than digital, sounds better than analog. It's the best kind of recording you can get ever. Can you imagine <laughs> recording a 24 track multi of, uh, of one bit recording? Imagine the data that would be happening on that. That's an. In- yeah, but 10 years ago, could you have imagined recording a 192 uh, 24 bit? I still stream? can't, to be honest. And, and still don't. Are you saying it's unnecessary? <laughs> I mean, I suppose for very, very dynamic and exciting, you know, like bit, like classical recordings or whatever, but rock and roll doesn't really need 192K. I mean, I can't imagine any singer or anybody playing with that sort of dynamic range that would benefit from a sample rate that high. Mm. I, I totally disagree. 
I've transferred masters, all the old Duran Duran masters from the 80s, which are recorded on 2-inch. And if you record them into DigiDesign Pro Tools at 44.1, 24-bit, they don't sound anywhere near as good as if you record them at 96K. And if you record them at 192, they sound better than if you record them at 96K. I don't know why. Maybe I'm recording more of the um, the hiss on the tape or something. I don't know, because theoretically the analog system shouldn't actually have that capability, but it de- definitely sounds different. Yeah. Um, the, the overall kind of dynamic sound and everything of it is better if you record at the higher sample rate. And I think that you have to record at the highest possible sample rate to preserve it for the future, because, you know, in 10 years' time, those... Um, masters won't exist they will have rotted completely having been baked several times and we need to have it as close to the analog copy as we possibly can and it needs to be as accurate as it can be so i i I would always go for the highest format i can i think perhaps it's something to store the store the multi-tracks on i suppose i could i could i'll give you that i think it's a i think it's a spiritual thing Really, <laughs> I'm convinced. I have this theory, and that is that when you meet a clairvoyant, if they can take a piece of jewellery and tell you something about yourself, that I think that inanimate objects record all sorts of information. And I think that if we're um, if we're recording at a higher bit rate and a higher sample rate, if we've got better sound on there, then we've got to have better third party information. All of the spiritual stuff will be on there better. Oh, so okay. you know, maybe maybe we've got you know the the ability to record a drummer's mood now as well we're on sort of high, as we're on the sort of high resolution subject i mean waves have introduced their kind of top end bundle you know they've, they've got a variety of bundles and uh, their latest bundle is really kind of the well what would you call it? it's the king the king of bungle they called it they called it mercury which um doesn't sound very expensive because mercury is actually very poisonous but it shouldn't be kind of platinum. No, they've done platinum, haven't they? They did they, diamond last. I think that's what the could they? What could they? What could they do? They'd have to go somewhere sort of. I don't know. What's the most expensive thing? It's probably a saffron bundle or something they could call. It. <laughs> but anyway, the Waves Mercury bundle uh, basically incorporates all ninety-one of their plugins, uh, including some that aren't available any other way. Yeah, I think as I understand it, the new uh, the new ones are these V series plugins. That's the ones that you can't get on their own. Mm. so far and uh, kind of the incentive i suppose if if you like to um, buy the mercury bundle i'm guessing from the way that they look that the v series are are a neve derived in some form it does look a bit like that but as as always goes unless they've actually got an explicit license they can't say this can they am i right in saying this the only ones they've done so far that were the ssl ones that were were, with a license name on them all their other plugins are actually always waves clearly just their own design yeah, and not meant to be anything else in particular, shall we say? Do you think many people have got a spare twelve k to drop? It's a lot of money, isn't it? I think waves have always have been quite expensive. Um, you know, they've they've stuck to their pricing, shall we say? They've never dropped their pricing. They do have quite a lot of offers on, and of course, TDM are you know virtually twice as expensive as as native plugins. So the twelve, you know, the twelve k is for the TDM bundle, as far as it's a lot of plugins. It's 91 plugins. I mean, you know, unlike a number of other um, plugin manufacturers, it's not just EQs and compressors. It's you know, if you buy the whole bundle, it's 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 everything from flanges to phasers and panners and all sorts of things in there from the various packages. So you are getting quite a lot of variety. Yeah, they do have some really great. I mean, that that uh, the one thing that I really really rate is that some of their time domain stuff that for for uh, time stretching and pitch change. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. pretty outstanding stuff. It looks very expensive. 
Yeah, I mean, you must come across Wave plugins, you know, being a Pro Tools kind of guy. I've been using Wave plugins on everything for years and years and years, and yes, we have got them on our Pro Tools system, or should I say Duran Duran have got them on their Pro Tools system. And I've had it on uh, various different Waves plugins on the PC and on the Mac, and they're all very good. I have to agree. I mean, that when I first started out doing CD-ROM work years and years ago, when we were still working at 11K 8-bit samples, I used the, uh, the L1 and the Q10, which were some of their first plugins, which must have been way back, 93, 94. Yeah. Um, and they were just absolutely brilliant for getting the best out of samples and getting the dither right to come down to 8-bit. I mean, but I suppose if you've been using them all these years, I mean, why would you then go and drop another 12K? I mean, there must be some sort of upgrade path for you to kind of, if you've got half of them anyway, why would you want to buy the bundle again? I've probably lost all, I've probably lost all my serial numbers anyway. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. When you've had them for so long, that was the one that I have to say I was a bit annoyed because I, I bought into the Waves thing years and years ago and I had a, one of those little dongles that used to go on the ADB port and when Max went over to USB, I phoned up Waves and said, well, I haven't got an ADB port anymore. And they said, tough, you have to buy them again. That's not very nice. Okay. And could I you thought, not plug it? But you could buy it. There was a little USB to ADB adapter for Logic. Logic uh, supported their old keys, so why didn't Waves? And I just said, well, I'm going to run cracks because I think that's absolutely outrageous. And I've actually bought in from year dot helping keep the company going. I probably won't use any of this. I just want to get it off my chest. Well, this is what... <laughs> <laughs> this is... <laughs> I mean, I do, I do hope they make these V series plugins in the same way that they did with the SSL plugins, make them available as a separate bundle that you can just add on to whatever you've already got. Well, they Maybe must. They, will. they must. I mean, you know, you don't develop all of that stuff and then only limit it to customers who are going to spell, spend twelve thousand dollars. Well, here's the, anal- here's the analogy. It's like you like one song on someone's album, but you have to go and buy the box set, and it's like. Mm. I only want to hear that one song that was in the charts as a hit. So maybe somebody just wants one plug-in, but they, sh- they shouldn't want to... They should sell them separately. So they're selling, like, singles and albums and box sets. Maybe, I, I mean, but. I agree. I think they should too. I mean, I think maybe they're moving towards this kind of idea that you can buy the licence for a session. I mean, that's their sort of the model they're going to try, isn't it? That's the digi-design. They use that as well, don't they? Licensing I like plugins that idea. For a couple of I like that idea. Because nobody wants to have to go to the shop to go and buy a plug-in when they're in the middle of a session. If you can go online, download it, pay for a license for a day, do what you need to do, and then it stops working again. Brilliant. How I much are the licenses usually? Don't know. I haven't done it. I just think it's a good idea. <laughs> in practice. Perhaps you'd like to introduce uh, our, uh, our new guest, Mark. Our new guest is East, my son, who is uh, 17 months old, and he thinks it's a good idea, don't you? <laughs> 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 Excellent. I'm sure you'll be able to play in this podcast when you've uh, when we've remar- digitally remastered it to the Korg uh, one bit recorders in uh, 20 years time, and he'll say, "You'll say, son, this was you, you know, recorded <laughs> <Your> in." <debut. laughs> and the next story, another AES story. Um, SSL seem to have come out with a slew of new products that are kind of aimed more at the budget and um, project kind of area. Uh, area that i mean there the alpha channel looks kind of quite cool doesn't it and one channel of ssl i mean if that's your bag it does look, it does look cool um i've had both the they have a couple of other channels they have an e channel and an and a k series channel that you can get which are very they sound amazing i have to say um this looks a bit simpler although it does look a bit kind of more modern because it's got more sort of um flashy sort of knobs and switches on it yeah, but it is definitely simpler. It's only a three-band EQ, from what I could gather, and, and there's no 
uh, flexible compressor on there, although there's a limiter on the output. So it looks good, and it's certainly cheaper than the other two rack units you can get, the other two micro-pre's you can get from them. But I suspect it's, it's cheaper because it's a bit simpler. It re- sort of reminds me of the kind of uh, the way Focusrite went after they did all their kind of red and isa series they kind of came down to the platinum series and the the producer packs and all that kind of thing i mean do you think maybe they've uh, they've seen that and kind of gone yeah we'll that you know we'll use the ssl brand to to push this stuff into to lower down lower points in the in the in the you know the food chain yeah i suspect that's part of it i mean also they were advertising um promoting their new converters for example i think weren't they which is something i didn't realize they made so i guess that's that's a new sort of area for them as well. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think a lot of that stuff is... Uh, I, I don't know what the SSL converters sound like. I mean, are they based on stuff that's in their digital consoles, presumably? Well, this is. I, I guess they must be. I, I hadn't sort of assumed... I didn't really think of them as a converter for, you know, company that made converters, but obviously they must do because they're all over their digital gear. So. Yeah. I mean, um, and, and maybe, you know. uh, maybe we'll see some sort of Firewire interfaces as well come in in the future. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I like SSL desks i like ssl eqs and stuff and to me it just seems like one massive great big synth a whole set of filters and stuff and i mean i would use an ssl in the same way as i'd use a synth to make sounds for things and i right. think it's cool if i can i only need one channel of it anyway for how i use it so maybe i'll get one of that well the extract looks kind of good as well the modular thing because you can sort of buy into various bits of of i'm not sure what bits they are but you can have bus inputs and eqs and uh uh, compressors and what have you. That looks quite an interesting one. I think that's going to be... Uh, it's, it's sort of part of a, a, a sound of the last 20 years. That, yeah. that I mean, if you make that available to some of the people who are a computer recording, maybe it's a useful thing. It probably is, yeah. SonicState.com Okay, well, thanks very much, everybody, for this post-AES uh, Sonic Talk podcast. Mark Tinley, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. And your and, uh, son. Goodbye. Hey, and John Musgrave, thank you very much. Cheers, Nick. Uh, yeah, Dave Spears had to nip off and pick up his daughter from school, so very child-friendly podcast we have been this week. Thank you very much for listening. Um, remember, you can contact us. Don't be shy now using the Skype handle Sonic Talk. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Anything you've got to say on the subjects that we cover or perhaps the subjects we don't cover, um, just use our Skype handle Sonic Talk or if you want to use the phone, our number in the US is 312-376-8089 and if you're dialing internationally, just put 001 in front of that. So 001-312-376-8089. Alternatively, just send us an email on sonictalk at sonicstate.com. We'd love to hear from you. Sonic. State. Not com.